acorns are jumping off my Chinese house. Two ducks in my spyglass, for as a mouse is Welcome to Yarns at Yin Hu, a podcast about the fiber arts and other post-apocalyptic skills. Episode 203, Make It Blue. Wednesday, August 8th, 2018. I'm your host, Sarah. You can find me on social media as Sarah Pomegranate. The Yarns at Yin Hu podcast has a Facebook page, and it's available on iTunes. Each time I record an episode, I post photographs, show notes, and links to things I talk about on my website, yarnsatyinhu.com. Today's episode features the following segments, the back porch, the front porch, ever-expanding skill set, and so forth. Before I start talking about all of my completed projects and upcoming ideas, I'd like to remind listeners that there are some unclaimed prizes from our Iris Cal. They were announced on episode 201. So if you are a little bit behind in your listening, or maybe if you listen while you do other things and kind of tune out a little bit, you may want to just give a check to the beginning of episode 201 and send me a personal message if you are one of those prize recipients. I was able to do quite a bit of stitching on my beach vacation, but as I anticipated, I spent most of my time working very intently on a few projects, and I didn't get to many others that I took along with me. The first completed object I'll tell you about is the Iris Tank by Ririco. I found this pattern when I just searched Iris when Emily and I were knitting the Iris Shrug for our knit-along, and I was looking for Melody's pattern, but then some other things popped up, and this tank top looked very interesting to me. It's in stockinette stitch with a pearl stitch panel that goes down the front and widens as the tank top lengthens, so you get a nice flared look at the bottom. It's quite simple in its structure, and I thought it would be great to knit it in some summer weight yarn. And so I went to my local yarn shop, Mountain Knits and Pearls, and found some Elsbeth Lavold Lynn Silk. It's a beautiful yarn. I chose a rather somber autumnal color, but I really enjoy the color. It's kind of heathered. It has little pops of 
bright colors in it and it's a decay weight but it's a single ply and it is definitely softening as I wash it. I've thrown it in the wash several times and it's becoming much more comfortable to wear and I think a really terrific wardrobe staple. I knit it on US 4 needles and I knit the smallest size but my gauge is rather loose and so that's typically my MO is to just go for the kind of fabric that I want, that I enjoy, and then adjust the size that I'm knitting accordingly so that I get something that fits. I had anticipated completing this tank before I left for vacation. However, I made a major error as I was knitting it and then ended up doing most of the knitting on vacation. I misunderstood the directions for the shoulder shaping. So the way this pattern is designed, you start at the back and you knit down a good portion of the back piece with some short row shaping and then you pick up stitches at the shoulder, knit the right front and the left front, and then you join them. And I was following the directions for the right front, but I had attached it to the left so that the beautiful neckline shaping was in my armpit. And then before I understood that that's what I had done, I picked up the right front and knit the directions for the left. So I had done that twice. It was a significant amount of knitting. It took me a while to figure out what was happening. And then I was a little bit demoralized, ripping it all out. So I just saved it for vacation and then picked it up and was able to finish it pretty quickly. I really enjoy this tank. I could see knitting another one. It's really versatile. I think it could be knit in a sport weight, a DK weight. I think you could maybe even make some adjustments for doubling a fingering weight or something like that. It's just this beautiful summer tank with some very nice finishing details also. Once again, that's Iris, a tank designed by Ririco. I took along some copper tubing for a necklace design I had in mind, which required knitting a great deal of I-cord in this beautiful Blacker Yarns Samite that I had left over from a previous project, my Ora shawl. So I knit this quite substantial I-cord and then I attached a big tassel to the end of it and fed it up through this copper tubing. The piece of copper tubing I bought is small, but it has actually three openings to it. So the way this necklace or pendant works is that the I-cord goes through two of the holes in the tubing and then the tassel drops through the third opening. I love this piece. It's stretched and grown a little bit, so I think what I would like to do is maybe take out a little bit of the I-cord and shorten it 
The copper is a little bit heavier than I anticipated, and I think it's lengthened the pendant over time. But tassels are in, and I really like the way this came out. I went back to our local hardware store where I found this particular piece of tubing and bought some additional pieces so that I can do more necklaces in the future. The final project that I devoted a significant amount of vacation knitting time to was a pair of socks, and they were, in fact, excellent beach knitting. I really enjoyed working on them. I was interested in playing around a little bit with the back panel design for my Humblebee sock pattern. There's a little 10-stitch panel with little beads running up the leg, and I thought about what it would be like if I relocated that panel along the side of the foot on a pair of socks. And the yarn I chose was dyed specially for my Humblebee socks by Hope of Hope's Favorite Things. She dyed a number of skeins of yarn in the same sort of color family, but they're not exactly the same. Each one is different, just like flowers are different. And this was a lovely muted colorway with tans and a few pinks and yellows and I really enjoyed knitting with it. I believe it's a pretty standard 80-20 superwash merino nylon blend. Really sturdy and it plumps up when you block the socks. I knit on US zeros which is my typical sock needle size And I really like the way this panel runs down the side of the foot. It was super enjoyable to knit, a lot less complicated than knitting the complete Humblebee sock pattern because there's only something going on in one place down the side of the foot. And I think I have enough yarn for another pair of these socks because I didn't put much of a cuff on them. So I was thinking about these socks and thinking about the fact that there are a couple of important dates coming up. One on the 16th of August will be my five-year anniversary. I started recording the Yarns in Who podcast five years ago on August 16th, and I thought, what would be a good way to celebrate maybe with a sale on one of my pattern designs. And then also in my continued research of honeybees and what's being done for honeybees around the world in terms of research and development, I found out that August 18th is National Honeybee Day. So I thought that I would offer up the Humblebee sock pattern on a sale of $3, and I will continue to contribute $2 to Heifer International for the sale of each sock pattern. So if you've been thinking about it, or if you'd like to give it as a gift, from now through midnight on August 18th, all you need to do is put that pattern in your shopping cart on Ravelry and the deduction will be taken automatically. (music) 
Since I last recorded, Tour de Fleece reached its conclusion and I was successful in completing both of the projects, both of the goals I had set for myself this July. One is that I participated on Team Jenkins Turkish and used two of my Turkish spindles, my Kuchulu and my Aegean spindle, to spin up some little batlings from hobbledehoy and some other assorted bits of fiber totaling about 100 grams. And I was able to spin all of those. I just have single ply all waiting to be plied or to figure out what will happen next with them. But it was a great compliment to the mindfulness um, sessions that I did this July and it was a great way to sort of take something portable spinning wise on vacation with me and I really enjoyed working on that project over the course of the month. The other project I worked on at my home so I had to take a big break in the middle when I left for vacation But I worked on spinning up a fleece that I divided with Emily of the Fibertown podcast at Maryland Sheep and Wool in 20, let's think, it was a 2017 Maryland Sheep and Wool. We found a small, it's about a four pound Hog Island fleece. It was the fleece of Emily Chamelin's daughter. And I'm not sure if she had a hand in shearing it, but it was unusual in that it was Hog Island. It can be difficult to get that fleece and it had beautiful brown color, kind of a grayish brown. It was challenging in that it was quite a little dirty fleece. I'm not sure if it had second cuts or not, but the overall staple length of the fleece was very short very spongy and bouncy, but very short. And it may have been kind of picked up and put into the bag with some second cuts from another fleece. I'm not sure. And there was a lot of veg matter in this fleece. Nevertheless, we were undeterred. We divided it and I took quite a long time picking through it doing an initial wash, and then I made drum-carded bats. They sat for nearly a year because I made those bats last summer. And then this summer, finally, I was just determined I was going to spin them all up. And so I spun the singles on three different bobbins. I tried just weighing the bobbins to get about an equal amount of weight on each one. And then I got a beautiful, plump, three-ply yarn. I did all of the spinning on my Louette S10 double treadle wheel, which I really love for its speed and the amount of uptake. I spun using primarily a short backward draw. As I said, the staple length was very short, so I couldn't really 
pull on it in a long draw without getting a lot of inconsistency in the yarn. And I did want the singles to be relatively consistent. I was aiming for between 750 and 1,000 yards of a DK weight yarn. And my yarn came in at 800 yards of a three-ply and then another, I can't remember now, I think 20 or 30 yarns of a two-ply. And I decided that I would put them into an indigo dye vat. So I was very fortunate um, to travel to Emily of Fiber Town's home. Uh, Samuel and I visited Emily and her family for a weekend getaway. And one of the things that we had planned as an activity was to do some indigo dyeing. So I brought all of my materials and my directions. It had been a while since I made an indigo vat. And then we were joined by Sarah Flanews on Instagram and Ravelry. And together we just took the plunge and put a lot of different things into the indigo vat. Emily and Sarah were dyeing some fabrics. Uh, they used some different resist techniques with the fabrics. And then I was pretty focused on just figuring out how to get consistent color on this 800 yards of yarn. So I'm, we actually used two different indigo vats because we did a lot of dyeing. <laughs> and um, I was able to fit all of my yarn into one vat. I was just concerned about dipping one and then another. Your initial strike picks up the most dye. And although it would be possible to alternate skeins while knitting, I really wanted to avoid having to do that throughout a project. So I was able to just put all of it in and then wring it out. And I ended up doing three dips in the indigo vat. The resulting color is like a really beautiful heathered denim blue. The indigo dyeing just plays wonderfully with the variations in the hand spun yarn. It was a very special thing to come full circle on this Hog Island Fleece by completing the dyeing process with Emily. There couldn't have been more difference between the frigid rainy day we bought and divided the fleece and the baking hot day that I did the dyeing. <laughs> But it was really special to be with her and her family and Alice. I got to meet Alice. I got to meet Alice. And I'm really grateful to Emily and to Sarah for just sort of being by my side while I made the decision to follow through with indigo dyeing the yarn. After spending so much time on the spinning, it was kind of a difficult decision to, to dye it so drastically. But I'm really glad I did. I'm very eager to knit with this yarn, and I've already been researching some potential pattern ideas for it. 
on the front porch, I have a dress and sweater pattern, both of which I plan to complete before Rhinebeck, and one I have already started. I started knitting Lada, a dress design by Marie Green. It appears in Len Magazine, issue 5, I believe. It's designed in Tuku wool, but I have elected to use stash yarn and I have a very large quantity of beaver slide dry goods two-ply sock yarn. The color is Mountain Twilight. It's a beautiful lavender color. It has some tweedy bits so it's not one flat color but has a little bit of variation in it. It's 80% wool, 20% mohair, and I believe this yarn is mule spun, so it has a little bit more rustic look to it. It's not as consistent in its spinning, and its ply structure is extremely loose. Sometimes the two plies of yarn just seem to be lazily wrapping around one another. Sometimes they're a bit tighter. Um, I think what happens with that kind of a structure in yarn is it does have an interesting bit of drape to it. The resulting fabric is very plush. It's almost velvety. It reminds me a bit of the... the um, fabric I achieved when I was knitting with brushwork because it has that plush velvetiness to it and something I'm not sure why this word comes to mind but particularly with this particular with this color I get a bit of chalkiness it feels almost chalky it's maybe a dry hand um but pleasant I mean I guess it could have seem that some of those things are unpleasant, but it's very pleasant to knit with. There is a tendency to split the plies with the needle, so I do have to be careful of that. Uh, but so far, I've really been enjoying the Lada dress. The Lada dress is a short-sleeved tunic dress with a split front, and the distinguishing feature is that it has some uh, knit through the back loop stitch panels running down sort of unevenly along the front and along the back. The sleeves are in stockinette and then just under the bust it's joined and then knit kind of in a bell shape which I'm not sure that I will imitate. I may do something more of an A-line shape and then at the hemline that um, knit through the back loop pattern is repeated along the edge. I've been enjoying the pattern. I've researched some errors in the pattern and sort of looked over the notes made by other knitters. But I think in particular, once this is joined after um, putting stitches on hold for the armholes, I think it will be very speedy to knit because there's a lot a lot of stockinette in the round and I'm really looking forward to wearing this I know I will get a lot of use out of a dress 
because I've knit several others and I very much enjoy wearing them both as a dress and as a tunic with jeans or leggings underneath. And the short sleeve varieties make them more versatile because I can put a thermal under it or in some cases I wear a blazer over them and so they're excellent wardrobe staples. The other pattern coming up that I plan to start by August 22nd, which means I would like to finish the Lada dress by August 22nd, so I can start my Lovage by Marie Wallen. Emily has knit this pattern, and Corinne has knit this pattern, and I really want to have one of my own. I'm a bit nervous about all of the color work and the way color work extends down onto the body of the sweater and the way the pattern is knit from the bottom up. But I just put an order in this morning for a few more colors. I purchased the pattern finally and looked over the colors and I wanted to have just a few more color options and a little bit more of the main color of the yarn. So I just put in a quick order with the woolly thistle so that I will be all ready to maybe do a bit of swatching or color comparison and then cast on on August 22nd. If you have yarn from the Woolly Thistle and you've been thinking about making an autumn sweater or a Rhinebeck sweater, definitely check out the Woolly Thistle group on Ravelry and you can read through all of the specs for the upcoming cow. ever-expanding skill set. In episode 201, I talked about a no-churn ice cream, and it seems that it struck the fancy of many listeners who gave it a try and then immediately started experimenting with replacing some of the ingredients with, I guess, more lower-fat ingredients. (laughs) The lemon no-churn ice cream calls for sugar, lemon rind grated, lemon juice, a bit of salt, milk, and heavy cream. I also added a bit of vanilla extract to mine. It's made very simply by mixing the ingredients, pouring them into a metal pan, freezing them for a few hours, and then stirring up that mixture and letting it freeze completely. Based on Kathleen Craft Buzz's experiment where she replaced pretty much every item in the list of ingredients, I decided to branch out and replace the lemon with lime. So I used grated lime rind and lime juice, but I replaced the whole milk with coconut milk and it was absolutely delicious. In my next version, which I think will be coming up this week sometime, I plan to add some shredded coconut to the recipe and then I would like to replace the heavy cream with the coconut milk and then use whole milk. So just Gently try to reduce some of the fat in the recipe without making it. It's certainly not light. And I think you do need a good deal of fat to get 
a satisfying mouthfeel with this recipe, but I like the combination of lime and coconut and it's, it's still coming together and it's nice and creamy and it was even a little more scoopable. This version with the coconut milk was a little more scoopable than the first version that I made. So I will continue to work with the no-churn ice cream, and thanks for everyone who joined in and shared ideas. It seemed like many of you were inspired, so that's wonderful. This week I visited my mom, and I've been wanting to do a little more with fermentation because I had talked about 2018 being the year of fermentation, and I've tried some cheese. I've done a lot with my kombucha. I have been very consistent with my water kefir, really making it every four to seven days. So far, my favorite combination is blueberry and ginger. It makes a beautiful color, a lightly sweet taste, and then I like the punch of the ginger. That has been my absolute favorite so far. But I wanted to try some fermented vegetables, and with my mom, I put together a gallon of fermented pickles. My mother has a garden, and so when I visited her, we went and we picked small cucumbers, maybe three to five inches in length, pickling cucumbers, and she made a brine of about a third of a cup salt to half a gallon of water. This was not heated at all. In a very um, clean one-gallon glass jar, a crock would be better, but she's using her crock for her pickles, so I used a gallon glass jar. We put some grape leaves in the bottom, and then we put some fresh dill heads, some peppercorns, some whole peeled cloves of garlic, and then we filled up the jar with the cucumbers. And then at the top of the jar, we repeated those ingredients. So I had some peppercorns, some whole dill heads, fresh, some garlic cloves. I also put in one jalapeno pepper, and then we filled the jar with the brine that I mentioned and then covered the top with grape leaves. And then I had been given some glass uh, fermentation weights for Christmas. So I just put one of those glass fermentation weights into the top of the jar so that it would submerge those grape leaves below the level of the liquid. I did put a screw top on to transport the jar back to my house, but once I was home, I removed the lid and I put some cheesecloth over the top instead. And then the directions are every day to skim the scummy stuff off of the top level of that liquid. And I can even remove the glass weight and rinse in cold water the grape leaves just to clean them off and then put them back on top and submerge everything below the water line. As the cucumbers are sort of releasing their own liquid and taking up the brine, the whole mass of 
the product in this fermentation vat has sunk a little bit. So now there's a lot of liquid above the line of the grape leaves. In regular mild temperatures, it would take about a week for the fermentation process to complete. It has been very warm and humid here, so I'm expecting four or five days. And today I will start tasting these pickles to see how I like them. And once I decide that they're satisfying, I like the taste, I like the amount of salt in them, then I will put them in smaller jars to store in my refrigerator and they'll keep in the refrigerator for a couple of weeks. So I'm really excited to try. I've made pickles with my mom on a number of occasions, but they always involve canning them with vinegar. And then of course you would have to wait a few months before eating them. Uh, This process is actually a fermentation process, much, much different and a different flavor profile, certainly for the pickles as well. And I'm eager to see how they taste and to see the texture of them. One thing my mom instructed me to do as I was cleaning the cucumbers and preparing them for this process is she told me that I should slice off the very end of the cucumber that had the flower, not the stem end, but the blossom end. She said that there was an enzyme in there that can soften the pickles unfavorably over time. And if you cut that off, they stay much crisper. Um, I had not known that. Um, I know we generally had discarded the stem end and the blossom end when we sliced cucumbers for pickling, but I didn't realize that that would also be helpful when pickling cucumbers whole. So I will report back and I will also post uh, quite a few photographs of this process uh, and everything else I talked about on this episode on my website, yarnsatyanhu.com. Recently, I've completed the matcha top designed by So Liberated. I was really interested in the collar detail on this sleeveless top. Actually, there's a version with sleeves and a version without sleeves. And I found some very interesting fabric. I'm certain that there is a name to identify this type of fabric, but I don't know what it is. I found it on discount in a local fabric store that sells mostly quilting fabrics, but every once in a while I really have, like there's gold in there and I get it for a great price. So it's where I picked up that beautiful organic cotton in navy that has, oh, it's just so wonderful. And then I found just over a yard of a fabric. I'm sure it's from India or it's inspired by Indian fabric. It almost seems like a gauze fabric in a fine weave, lots of drape and softness. And then through this fabric is lines of stitching. On the wrong side, it looks like little boxes. It's a, it's a grid. 
And on the right side of the fabric, it makes little plus signs, little crosses throughout. It's not delicate. It's sort of like a medium bold graphic design. It's definitely noticeable. It's not delicate or petite, uh, but neither, neither is it super bold. Uh, if you know the name for this type of fabric, please let me know. My mom suggested that maybe it was some kind of Leno weave, L-E-N-O, um, because the fabric is woven and then the stitching is definitely added after. It's not a part of the weave, but I'm not sure. I'm pretty certain that there was a little tag on the fabric when I purchased it and I don't remember what it said. Anyway, it's the perfect, breathable, lightweight fabric for this type of top. And I really enjoyed the way the top came together. Um, it's soft. The shoulder detail is very nice. The length of the top is a little bit short and it completely billows out right at my waistline. So I have only been able to wear it tucked into a garment. I can see wearing it tucked in. I could also see making this maybe four inches longer, three or four inches longer and belting it at the waist. It's really, really wide at the waist and flares out in a way that I don't care for too much. Um, but otherwise, I really enjoyed the pattern and found it easy to follow. I also purchased the gypsum skirt. Actually, that was my first purchase, and then I ended up adding the matcha top to my cart. I have not yet made the gypsum skirt, but that's somewhere in my future. <laughs> so once again, the patterns I talked about in this episode are the Iris Tank by Ririco, Lada, a dress design by Marie Green, Lovage by Marie Wallen, and the Matcha Top by So Liberated. It's a mighty fine, mighty fine nature thing. It's a mighty fine, mighty fine nature thing. Leaves lay down like a lady waiting for a naked man. River bends like an elbow, turning stone to sand. It's a It's a 
Thanks for listening. Music for this episode is so sweet. Music and lyrics by Samuel St. Thomas, performed by Bovine Social Club. Eat well and stay strong as you hone your post-apocalyptic skill set this week. Thank you.